In this episode of Busting Beaks and Chasing Tails, I'm joined by Carl Drake. Carl's going to tell us how he got into the hunting industry. He's been doing it for about 25 years now. Uh, he's going to give us a rundown on how his turkey season went, how his deer season went last year, uh, how he scouts with trail cameras, and then he's also going to tell us about the uh, trips he's made around the world hunting in both South Africa and New Zealand. So uh, stick with us. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales podcast. Join us for turkey and deer hunting tips, information, and stories. And now your host, Todd Hogan. Hey, with me on the phone today is Carl Drake. How you doing, Carl? Hey, Todd. Doing great, buddy. Glad to have you on the podcast. You've got, uh, you've got some knowledge that I, that I wanted to tap today in multiple facets you've uh you've traveled around the world hunting uh you're a pro staffer for several companies uh you're on tv so um if i could just kind of get kind of give me a rundown on on how you got into the industry and, and who you pro staff for um wow you know i got into the industry over 20 years ago uh it all started out with calling uh turkey calling contest uh i had went to a turkey calling contest something that would intrigued me and was watching all these guys do, you know, these turkey calls and everything. And I thought, man, I can do that. You know, I'm a good turkey caller. So I actually got into my first turkey calling contest uh, into the amateur, amateur division. And it was in southern Indiana. You know, I was kind of like, you know, I'm good. I can I'll show these guys how it's done. I think there was probably 15 guys in my division and I ended up 15th. So, uh, really it was an eye, eye awakening thing for me. eye opening thing for me. So it's like, okay, you know what? I'm a 15th. I'm at the bottom. I am going to work my way up from there. And, you know, it just started practicing. I had talked to other callers, how, you know, I seen them with their sponsor shirts on how they, you know, got sponsors and stuff. Uh, I ended up winning, uh, the Indiana state, uh, uh, one year and, uh, actually started reaching out to sponsors. I had talked to, uh, primos. I had talked to, uh, HS strut and several other ones. And actually the first one who picked me up was Quaker boy, uh, Dick Kirby and a talk with Chris Kirby. They picked me up for a year. I really though wanted to be with Hunter specialties. So I kept pressing that, pressing that. And finally I got picked up by Hunter specialties. Uh, Steve puppy was the promotions manager at that time. And I've been with Hunter Specialties for over 20 years now as uh, as a pro staffer, as a caller. And it just kind of blew up from there, Todd. You know, uh, I can say, you know, I've placed um, in the top 10, you know, in state competitions. I've won several state competitions. But the one thing that did intrigue me in calling contests is I heard somebody do the Bard Owl call. Uh, there is a division for the Bard Owl. And, you know, I just kind of focused on that. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to win the barred owl competition and that's what i focused on you know uh started making my own calls and uh you know i've won five state titles with ohio indiana and illinois and i've placed in the top five at the grand nationals uh four times with the barred owl so that's kind of excelled me into the industry but once i started doing that started working with hunter specialties that's when i got moved into the video tv aspect of it um they contacted me one day and said, hey, we want you to go to Illinois to do a youth hunt and we're going to film it. And man, from there, it's just been history. You know, it's, I've been with Archer's Choice uh, TV show. 
I film stuff for Realtree Outdoors as they're one of my big sponsors. Uh, doing stuff with the break now. So it, it's been a great, a great career that I've had. And I shouldn't say career because I really enjoy what I'm doing there. I'm a career firefighter. That's my full-time job. But getting to do this on the side, it, it's been awesome. Yeah. I know uh, trade show season, that's tough to get a hold of you because you're traveling all over the country, aren't you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I actually uh, do work for Browning Trail Cameras. Uh, I help them do all their setups, help them do their sales stuff. Uh, they'll even send me to different stores like Shields, uh, Academy Sports, you know, all over across the country at different shows and different events. So I can promote their uh, the trail cameras for them there. Uh, Realtree will send me to some grand openings. I've done grand openings with T-Bone, Swamp People, <coughs> and different celebrities. And uh, it, it's a fun ride. It really has. And now that I'm working for Browning Firearms, Browning Ammunition, and SPG with Browning Clothing, uh, man, I got some of the best sponsors in the world. I, I can't complain. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, Carl, um, my dad didn't turkey hunt. My dad was a big uh, fisherman, and the springs were made for fishing. So what I've learned about turkey hunting, I've watched videos and a lot from Brian, my partner, Brian. But uh, I've watched your video in the past, and that's probably where I learned how to use the hoot owl. So pretty cool. Well, and you know, I'm self-taught also, Brian. Uh, I'm Todd. I, you know, my, my dad, he was a big squirrel hunter, and uh, he just never did hunt deer turkey. So what I've learned, I've learned from videos, you know, also. And uh, I actually saw this uh, dude doing the, the owl call at a contest. And I thought, man, I want to, you know, I got to try this. And when I did it, I'm hooked. And uh, so I started building my own owl calls and then started doing the contests and everything. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, ask me, why the owl? What, what makes it so popular? And, and, you know, if you listen in the springtime, you know, these turkeys are all pumped up in the spring because it's their breeding season. The one time a year they get to breed. So any loud noise will make them gobble, whether it be lightning striking, you know, or yeah. you know, or a car door shut. You know, I've actually gotten out of my truck, shut the door a little too hard, and turkey, boom, they sound <laughs> off, and it's like okay. But we can't take we can't take those sounds to the woods with us, you know, because it will spook the birds off the roost. So, so the barred owl is a natural thing for first thing in the mornings that you, they might hear. So you know, that, <laughs> they'll sound off because they're just all pumped up. So. That's what's so f cool and fun about that. And then once you get out in the woods and actually hear the barred owl, listen what the sounds that they make, and then you, you can attribute to it to your your owl call and you know make it work in the springtime. It's uh very cool. Um, and you, you're you are you just doing that with your mouth right there? Yeah, I was just doing that with my mouth. Well, <laughs> that's better than what I can do with a call. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So um, I know the COVID kind of screwed things up, but uh, you live in Indiana, and I know you hunt a lot in Kentucky. Were you able to go to Kentucky this year and turkey hunt? I Yes, I did. I did. Uh, you know, there were some restrictions and everything. And you know what? We self-quarantined at home, and I have, you know, actually got a place in Kentucky that had some storm damage. So we had to go down and do make some repairs on the house down there. And while I was there, I did get to go out and uh, we, uh, man, we had a lot of turkeys and it just worked so well this spring. Uh, yeah, I, I, within three days, I had two birds uh, in the bag. So, so Kentucky was good to us again. So you had two in Kentucky and then uh, you and our buddy, Jason Miles, you hunted together too, right? Oh in my Indiana? Gosh, that was a crazy day. Uh, we met me and Jason. I mean, we both went out and I told Jason, Hey, you know what? I want to film you this year. So, cause Jason's always helping everybody else. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to film you this year. 
So Jason had a spot. He said, hey, man, it's banged up. Looks like it happened. This will be good. Okay, cool. So we go first thing in the morning, nothing. I mean, birds were way off, and they just didn't – nothing was close. So we decided to get up and go to a lease that we got. And we got to fool around. It was about 1 o'clock before we got to the lease. Finally got there. We walked a little way, heard some distant gobbling. We're going to go try another spot. I said, let's call one more time. So, you know, <laughs> birds sound off. I'm like, holy smokes, they're close. So they were within like, you know, 70 yards. And we kind of just jumped in a ditch. Now, I didn't bring my gun with me. I'm letting Jason. And uh, here come five gobblers, five mature birds all at once straight to decoy that we just threw in a road at seven yards at his old four-wheeler trail i mean it's like right there so <laughs> jason ended up shooting one and he's wanting to jump up and celebrate man stay down they're still there reload your muzzle loader unfortunately <laughs> it didn't happen but uh you know jason got his and then we went back to the house because we had some people coming in uh that we're gonna hunt later in a week so i said hey i'm gonna slip out real quick i'm gonna see if i can get an evening hunt in and I went back to the same location, uh, long story short, put out my decoys, set GoPros on them, and made my first call, and birds gobbled that were 70 yards again, and I had killed a bird within 20 minutes of sitting down. So it just, the opening day was like tremendous. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Very nice. And I know your son Josh killed one too. Was that Indiana or was that Kentucky? That was the least there in Indiana. And uh, his was probably one of the quickest hunts I've ever done. Uh, he came down, he was wanting to spend the week with me. He hadn't killed a bird in three years. I said, let's go to the lease. So he came two o'clock in the afternoon. He got there. We changed clothes. We ran down to the lease. We got there about four o'clock, uh, walked down the woods, struck up some gobblers, snuck down into where close they were. And within 15 minutes called two gobblers and he made a shot and killed a really nice bird, uh, there <laughs> in Indiana. It was like, I'm like, what in the world is going on here? This is unreal. So yeah, uh, it, it's been a great season. So, okay, Carl. So quick question for you, uh, in Kentucky, can you hunt all day? Yeah, you can hunt all day down there. And I love it because, uh, I'm one of those guys who loves mid morning and afternoon hunts. Uh, I think for me, but that's the most productive time to turkey hunt. So, yeah, Kentucky is one of those all-day states, and so is Indiana. Okay, what? Uh, just out of curiosity, um, how many of the uh, how many different species of turkey have you killed? Uh, I've killed three. I'm just lacking the Merriams to get my grand slam. Okay, nice. All right. Well, um, jumping kind of jumping around here, but let's talk a little bit about um, how did your deer season go last year. You know, deer season was really tough for me. Uh, not that I, I didn't see good deer, um, which I saw some great deer. I passed on a, a lot of deer last year, 130 and 140 class deer, because I had a couple target bucks uh, that I really wanted to take, especially at my farm in Kentucky. But uh, midway through the season, uh, we lost a firefighter uh, where I work at, and it was like the week before Thanksgiving, which, you know, everybody knows that's really prime time right there. So uh, I lost almost two weeks of deer season just because that event, uh, because he was hospitalized for almost a week and then he ended up passing. So, so yeah, that kind of shot down my deer season right there. You did kill good, pretty good one though, didn't you? No, I, I did not kill any deer this past fall at all. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of two years ago then, right? Yeah. Two years ago, uh, I did shoot a really nice, uh, 10 pointer at my lease in Southern Indiana. Uh, but yeah, he's right about mid one fifties. And so, yeah, I, I, that year was wonderful. 
Um, I know that, uh, like you were telling me before, you're a, uh, you're a, uh, you work with Browning trail cameras. So when do you get your trail cameras out and, and how many do you run and do you use them primarily as your, as your scouting device? You know, honestly, it's almost a uh, 11 to 12 month uh, deal for me with my trail cameras. Um, and it, it's kind of like a cycle. So in the spring, I like getting my cameras out somewhere around uh, right in March, uh, February, March for turkeys to see what my turkeys are doing. I'll run them completely through uh, turkey season because also it helps me scout my turkeys. Um, you know, I'll bring my cameras home, change out batteries, you know, check my cameras, make sure everything's running okay. Like I'm getting ready to head back out uh, next weekend to do some food plots. All my cameras will go back out to start watching deer and antler growth till I start identifying my bucks. And I'll run it all the way through till, you know, February because I want to see what bucks made it through the gun season and what uh, actually made it through the winter and everything. So it's almost a 12 month cycle for me when I run trail cameras. Okay. Um, and you said you also use them for Turkey too. I guess that helps. You know what you've got around there, don't you? Well, it, not only that, it also helps me pattern my turkeys because, you know, like at my farm, you know, we're looking at a little over 300 acres there and it kind of lets me know where the hens are, you know, where they're setting up the stage to start nesting and those gobblers are coming in. And so I, I can pick out those individualized fields knowing that, okay, those gobblers are coming in there strutting where those hens are. And it kind of helps me pattern out my, my turkeys too. Okay. And I know Browning came out with the, uh, the cellular camera last year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it was the Defender. Uh, I've got two of them I'm running right now, both AT&T uh, uh, cameras, and I, I love them. I mean, they give you so much information. And what I like about the Defender, uh, it gets uh, GPS pinning. So if someone would actually take your camera, you can log in on your home computer and it can show you where that camera is. So uh, that's what's so, so yeah, just steal my camera and turn it on. I'll know where you're at or where that camera is. And then we can figure out how to get it and everything. Yeah. Um, they are, they are coming out with a new scout, which is the one that's going to be introduced. Or we're going to see probably around June or July. And the only difference between the two cameras is the defender, uh, which is 299 uh, MSRP is a 20 megapixel camera with uh, GPS pinning and a two inch viewing screen where the scout is 18 megapixel and it, it doesn't have the GPS pinning or the two inch viewing screen, but it's about a hundred dollars cheaper. So, it, I mean, it's for two, uh, $199, you get a cellular camera. That's, that's unbelievable. It's, uh, you helped me get mine set up last year, which, which wasn't any big deal, but uh, I'm an idiot about stuff like that. But um, <laughs> when, when uh, you know, like, late October, early November, I was waking up at like two in the morning just to check to see what had popped on. I mean, it's like, it's like Christmas. You just can't wait to see what you've got walking past the camera. Oh, you're exactly right. Especially when you get a big deer on camera and everything. Now, like for me, you know, my farm is four hours away. So having the accessibility of having that camera show me deer pictures and everything, you know, it's like, oh yeah, he's around here. So <laughs> it gets the excitement for upcoming season and it really gets you pumped up. And it makes you, you know, really change your thought of how to hunt that deer knowing he's in that area. Yeah. I, um, it was the last time of the year, Missouri, we, we have our um, um, alternative, I was using muzzleloader, alternative seasons late here. It was the last time I was out, like about January 3rd. Well, anyway, I stayed till 
you know, shooting light was over. I'm walking out, I get in the truck and I'm heading down the road from the farm and my phone dings and my shooter buck is standing in my food plot where I was 25 minutes before. I was just like, oh my God. But, but it's neat because it's, it's, you know, used to is you couldn't wait to get to the farm and check your cards and then race back home or take your computer with you. Well, now, like I said, you just roll over in the middle of the night and they're right, they're waiting for you on your cell phone. Oh, I'll take it back even a little further. I, I was running the uh, 10 millimeter film on the cameras and everything. Yeah. And you'd go pull that film out and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get to Walmart to get this film developed yeah. one hour just to see what I got. <laughs> I'm with so, you. I remember so those, uh, I would take them to Walgreens and drop them off. And then I, and then two or three days later, I'd stop back by and the same farm and pick up to see what I had. <laughs> oh yeah. How technology has changed everything. Wow. And, and that hadn't been that long ago either. We're talking 12, 13 years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, Carl, I, you have, I will kind of jump around again, but you have been all over the world hunting. Um, I know you've been to New Zealand and I know you've been to Africa. We've talked about that in depth before, but um, could you kind of tell me a little bit about each one of those? I know, uh, what was it? Five years ago, you went to New Zealand. Uh, it's about six, seven years ago. I went to New Zealand. Uh, yeah, I had the opportunity. A guy had called me and said, "Hey, uh, he was a, a broker and said uh, we're bringing a group over to New Zealand to hunt, and we'd like to have somebody uh, come over and film a hunt. Would you be interested?" And I said, well, I, "Absolutely." I mean, who's going to pass on a hunt to New Zealand and everything? Uh, and at that time, I was working with Philip Vanderpool uh, with Dominator Three Sixty Five. When all this was coming together, and then uh, Philip had actually canceled the show that was uh, airing on the Sportsman's Channel, uh, and uh, so that's when I actually connected with Derek Dernberger and uh, offered the hunt up to him if he'd be interested for the show, and that was actually the beginning of the break TV for me. And uh, but yeah, New Zealand is a place that is just absolutely amazing. Uh, we were on the South Island; we wasn't too far away from where they filmed the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the people are amazing there. Uh, the whole culture is different, very polite. A uh, lot of big animals there uh, in New Zealand. We saw red stag, we saw air power sheep, uh, fallow deer, Captain Cook boar, uh, mountain goats, and yeah, tar, chamois. It, it's, it's a place that is just packed with opportunity for a hunter there. So uh, definitely one of those things that was on my bucket list to go to. Then you talk about South Africa, which is totally in a different part of the world, uh, totally different environment. Um, it, it just the contrast of the two places are like night and day. But, it, you know, if someone would say, hey, which is your absolute favorite of the two? I would have to say South Africa because there is so many different animals there to hunt. And you actually get to see what happens with everything that you hunt and uh, shoot there in South Africa. Nothing goes to waste at all. So South Africa is definitely my, my favorite pick. Were you supposed to go back to South Africa this year? Or was it next year? No, we were going this year. We had a small group going this year, uh, but uh, probably not going to make it this year. It sounded like they're going to have their borders closed till about maybe till the first of the year, so, uh, just with this coronavirus, which, which is okay, you know. Uh, safety first and everything and so everybody that has was going on this trip is going to bump it to next year and go in july next year kind of uh, can you kind of let me in on um you use an outfitter there and and people i've asked you some of these questions and i'm naive about how the world works and stuff but 
um, South Africa, you feel safe when you show up? I, I know you said you did, but it's uh, once you get to your um, outfitter, you're, you, it's, it's great, right? I mean, South Africa is nice in general, but. Yeah, you know, here, here's what I tell people when they question me about, you know, South Africa. You know, you hear the bad things on the news, you know, about things that go on in South Africa. But like my outfitter put it, you know, it, if you go looking for trouble, you're going to find it. And if you go to the wrong places in St. Louis, you're going to get in trouble. And it's the you're same right. way there. Exactly. Just don't just stay away from those places. And the outfitter makes sure you don't go nowhere near those. When we roll into Johannesburg, uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, honestly, it reminds me of downtown St. Louis, downtown Indianapolis, big city. It's buzzing. It's, 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 you know, it reminds you of just the big city, but the further you go out in the more rural areas, it, it's just, that's when you realize you're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. I mean, <laughs> you're like, you're driving down a road and, and you see about 30 or 40 baboons run across the road. And you're like, Whoa, what was that? Or you look off to the side of the road and you see a giraffe and you're like, Oh my goodness, where in the world? And it's, it's definitely an eye opening experience. So, but, but yes, I feel safe all the time. I'm there. I've never had any troubles. Uh, it's, it's malaria free. It's typhoid free. You don't have to get any shots except I recommend a tetanus shot. Um, yeah. And, and for, and for the money, I tell guys, everybody thinks it's like a 20, $30,000 hunt. I, I mean, guys can go over to South Africa on a budget of $5,000 and, and have an excellent time. Cool. And I know again, back to the safety thing, I, last time you went, you took your wife, right? Oh yeah. My wife's been with me a couple times, you know, and she loves it over there. Uh, you know, she was a little nervous about the food because we do eat in camp what we actually shoot out on the, uh, uh, out on the, uh, concessions and everything. So, and, uh, she, she's a picky eater, but she liked everything they cooked. It was an excellent time. Yeah. <laughs> was it, um, I can't remember who you were with. I think you were filming maybe for Adam Vinatieri. Is that right? When the, when the lion charged you? Yes. My first trip over was, uh, I was at an outfitter in uh, around Cape Town, we were south of Johannesburg, and I was actually filming for a uh, yeah, professional football player, and he was doing a lion hunt, and he was doing, uh, you know, a couple other animals, and that's how I ended up, you know, going the first time. Um, can, can, can you tell me that story? Because it, it, it was one that you told us one night we were drinking, and it, it just frosted my cookies. <laughs> so, so, so we were actually, you know, the, 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 the first hunt we were doing is I was filming the lion hunt, so We'd actually went out and uh, went to this uh, concession. Now, you got to realize these concessions are not 100 acre, 200 acres concessions that they just throw animals in, where a lot of people get the concept of. A lot of these concessions are 7,000 acres to 70,000 acres in size. They are fenced because they are required by law to keep all the people out. Because if you don't fence your property and somebody comes in and squats on it and claims it out of their own, you can't get them off. So that's why these concessions are fenced in. Uh, the fences aren't high fences like you would think. These animals can come and go if they want any time they please. They just provide an environment there so that the animals stay. So we're in this concession and we're out cutting tracks trying to find a fresh lion track. And we found some and everything. And we're sitting there looking at a track and you just look up and you see this. that's a lion looking at me right there. And you're like, Oh man. And it just gives you chills because you see lions in the zoo, but when you know that dude is in a place that he can eat you, uh, <laughs> it makes you feel a whole lot different. So, uh, so I said, okay, that's a good lion. So 
he boogered out of there. He didn't want to hang around because they are very, very skittish. It's not like you see uh, on some TV shows or anything like that. These lions don't want, they don't like human interaction. So we go into the bush chasing this lion. And I mean, it took us several, several hours to get on the track. We'd come across some other prides, find smaller lions. And, you know, you just, it's like with any man, you want, you want to get the maturest animal you can find. And uh, we finally got up on this mature line. He was underneath uh, some brush in the shade and sunning. And I'm filming him and I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm in a perfect spot. Yeah, let's get this done. And I look around and there's nobody around me. They've moved off to another place and left me by myself there. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and this lion is looking right at me. I mean, I'm a big boy, so I know I look like a big piece of chicken and everything. So uh, I got the willies there, so I kind of picked up my camera, finally got over with those guys. Uh, the hunter made the shot, made a really good shot. The lion spun around, took off, went in the bush. Like, all right, cool. So we start getting on blood trails, and I said, okay, guys, let's just pull back. Let's let him bleed out. And they said, the outfitter's like, no, 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 we cannot we not back out. We must find this lion. I'm like, why? He's bleeding out. He goes, because there's other lions here. That if they smell the blood, they'll find him and they'll eat him. And we don't want to ruin trophy. I'm like, all right, I guess if you say so. So we get to a spot and the outfitter stops. He sets his gun down at his feet, picks up his binoculars. Because you can hear this lion in the bush. And I'm like, he's dying. And then all of a sudden, this lion busts out of the bush in a full sprint right to us. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt because he was coming right at me and the, and the tracker that was by me. Now, the thing you got to remember is when you're lion hunting, you're not going to be just one gun or one bow hunter. We got like four guns with us and a bow hunter. Uh, all of a sudden, they start lowering the boom, but they didn't wait till the lion until got about 15 yards in front of us. Shot the lion. He jumped up, shook his head. Uh, the guy who had actually shot the lion the first time with the bow came up, grabbed the gun, put the lion down. Uh, and I did not realize how big a lion was until we got up beside that thing. And I mean... They're all looking, giving everybody high fives, and they're like, Carl, how are you doing back there? I said, I think I just messed myself. <laughs> I was going to ask they, that. <laughs> and they said, they kind of laughed. I said, no, I'm dead serious. I think I just messed myself because I tried to back up when that lion was coming at us, and you got to remember, every bush in Africa has thorns, so there was no hiding and everything. So uh, <laughs> that was one time that I definitely thought a lion was going to eat me, so Thank goodness these guys were good shots with their big guns and everything. So, in, in but, comparison to like the palm of your hand, how big's their how big's their paw? Oh, it, it, double the size of my palm and everything. You know, really. So, and I, I wear medium gloves, so I would say yeah. And just the, the when you when you pick up that paw and you look at the claws, you're like, wow, 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 wow. It just it blows you away with uh, how just amazing these animals are. They're 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 built to survive in harsh environments. And they're built to take their prey down. Yeah. What, um, can you, I know you've, you've taken a lot of stuff in Africa. What, uh, can you kind of give me a rundown of what you've taken over there? Oh, man. Let's see here. I've taken a, a few warthogs. I've taken Inyalas, uh, Impalas. I've taken uh, a Blesbuck. I've taken a Gimsbuck, a Kudu, uh, Blue Wildebeest, um, Black Impala. Uh, and this year, I actually got to take uh, a Cape Buffalo with my bow, which has definitely been the pinnacle of my whole hunting career, uh, being able to do that. So, so yeah, it, it's been it's been awesome. Very cool. And I know you were telling me that when you're over there, like those uh, those trackers, um, 
it was either you or Zach, because um, you went over with a couple guys from the break TV show. But uh, they can pick up blood like you wouldn't believe, right? Oh, it, it's amazing watching these guys track and everything. Uh, the, the, the ground is so dry and dusty. So when a drop of blood hits the ground, it automatically balls up. So we're used to seeing blood splattering on leaves and everything. No, not there. It balls up into a little, like, dirt ball. And they, they, they walk with their hands behind their back. And when they see a spot of blood, they drag their foot from side to side to mark the spot. And I'm like, why are they doing? So I actually went and looked in at the tracker to see where he did. And you see little balls of blood balled up and that's how they mark it. And these guys, how they see some of the stuff they do, unbelievable. And there could be a trail with 50 tracks. They know which animal you shot just by the way the track is amongst all those others. And that's it just cool. blows me away. I, yeah, that was cool. I remember that story and I was like, that's impressive. Um, of of the thing because you said before of when you're over there you eat everything you, you you take so what's been the best meal you've had over there? You know my favorite, which uh, was one of the animals I shot, was an elon bull. An elon bull reminds me of a big Brahma bull. The way they've got that big hump on their back uh, and the big dewlap on their chest. Uh, this actually has a spiral horn. It's one of the spiral horn animals uh, that you can actually get your slam in. Uh, it is just some of the best eating steak I've ever had in my life. Uh, I don't know if it was the way they kick, cooked it. It was tender. It was just, it was amazing. Uh, I've never been to a steak, uh, a steakhouse that had as good a steak as that was. <laughs> That's cool. That volume. <laughs> um, trying to going back real quick. I meant to ask you this about New Zealand. How long is the plane ride? Plane ride to New Zealand is about 16 hours. Um, I went to Chicago, uh, Chicago, jumped on a flight from there to San Francisco. From San Francisco, you go across the pond to um, Auckland, New Zealand, and then you jump another airplane from uh, Auckland to Christchurch. So it's four different flights where, uh, like South Africa, it's about a 14 and a half, 15 hour flight. My flight was from Indianapolis to Atlanta, Atlanta, Johannesburg. Okay. Um I forgot to ask you also, in New Zealand, what, what did you take in New Zealand? Um, I ended up taking a crossbow and a muzzleloader. Um, we were the first person ever to come to, uh, I hunted with um, High Point, High, High Peak uh, Outfitters uh, there at Christchurch, uh, and we were the first uh, person to ever come to their place and kill a red stag with a crossbow. Uh, most of their hunts are rifle hunts and everything because the terrain is, it's crazy terrain. Over there, it's all that I tell people say. Well, compared to what we have in here, I would say where we were hunting at would be like hunting in um, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in the Smoky Mountains. So okay. that's where you hunt the red stag. For tar and chamois, go to the Rockies. That's the kind of terrain you're going to hunt there. Most guys helicopter up to those peaks and then work their way down finding tar and chamois. All so. right. Um, have you uh, have you uh? Yeah, I mean, we're just getting into it, but do you have any bucks going back into deer hunting? Do you have any bucks you're looking for this coming year? Yeah, I had a really big nine pointer um, at my farm in Kentucky that was, man, we had him patterned down right before we had to quit hunting. Um, and uh, I'm hoping he made it through season. I had some trail pictures of him late after gun season that he was showing up on the cell camera. So, uh, yeah, there was there was two good bucks that I hope are still around because they're going to be 160 plus this year, um, and uh, that's why we're going to go down now and start putting corn out and getting the food plots ready for them 
So maybe start getting them in and watching them grow and uh, keeping an eye on them till uh, we can get down there during most season. <laughs> Chat. Well, right. Very cool. Uh, I've kept you on here. I, I, if you don't mind, uh, come deer season, I'm going to catch up with you a couple of times and see what kind of uh, deer movement you're seeing, if you're cool with that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love, I love sharing because, you know, a lot of people, they hunt places and don't know what deer are doing in certain places because it's too far of a drive to get there. And, and feeding that knowledge to other people, I, I think it's awesome that you can share that knowledge with them because especially during rut time, a lot of people don't know. I mean, we sometimes see rut sporadically or we'll see it running full spring, you know, and, and, and listening to what is happening with everybody else. It is awesome. Uh, that's why I love uh, Josh Honeycutt with Realtree Outdoors does the rut report um, for Realtree. And you get to hear across the nation what the deer activity is like. And I just think that's very informative. That's, uh, that's kind of what we're, we're going to try to do this year. Uh, we kind of tried to do it last year in our, in our first uh, year uh, with the podcast. And it, it didn't go over quite as well as I'd hoped, probably because I didn't have the guys lined up. But this year I'm going to have my ducks in a row and, and get things going. But, uh, yeah, kind of what you were saying, I, I've got a group of friends and guys I know through the break TV show and just guys around the country, and I talk to them and find out what's going on. But um, I also listen to other podcasts sometimes just to see, you know, there's some other podcasts out there that do the same thing. And uh, it's kind of what I'm wanting to do this year. So we're going to hit you up for that. Um, I'm also hoping that maybe this year I can make it back down to Indiana and we can drink a little, uh, what do you call it? What was it? The bird dog whiskey we were drinking? Oh yeah. Bird dog blackberry whiskey, man. That is the nectar of the gods right there. That's what I'm talking about. So yeah. That's some good stuff. That is some good stuff. Yep. Um, Carl, if people want to follow you on Instagram, what's your Instagram account? Uh, at Realtree underscore Carl. Uh, on Instagram and uh, also can follow me on Facebook, you know, Carl Drake on Facebook. Uh, like I said, we, we push a lot of the, uh, our sponsors on both pages, Realtree, uh, Hunter Specialties, Banks, and all the, the ones that help us, you know, throughout the year. So yeah, come follow us. We do quite a bit of live feeds when we can. Uh, just like I said, just we try to make it as educational as we can to share that much information with people. You know, we share our hunts there and hunting opportunities. If you know, there's outfitters we know that we recommend. I will always push them on my page because there's some really good ones out there. You know, like Elon Safaris, who has taken well good care of us there in South Africa. Uh, I tell every hunter, every hunter needs to go to South Africa because. You know, we get spoiled here in America seeing what happens, you know, with our animals here. I know a lot of people, they like whitetail meat. But whenever you could take a group over, and it's like our last group, we took in 35,000 pounds of wild game that either went to camp, went to schools, went to churches, or went to market. Nothing. And I do mean nothing. <laughs> Excuse me. It was just absolutely incredible seeing that and sharing that experience. So that That's... was that definitely that was really cool. That was one of the questions I had for me originally. I was like, well, does any of this meat go to waste? And you're like, absolutely not. If we don't eat it, they give it away or they, you know, they take it to whoever and it's all used, which is excellent. Oh, and you know, one of the amazing things is it's just some of the things that you see. South Africa is a very, very poor country. Uh, villagers are very, very poor. I mean, when we was watching them dress out our animals, we was watching them take like the intestines out and the stomachs out and they would open them up, clean them out. And they was washing them with water. And I asked Alex, who is the owner of Elon Safaris, I said, Alex, what are they doing with that? He says, they're cleaning that. He said, they will make soup and sausage out of all that. He said, what you see here, Carl, that they, they use that and everything. And it's like, wow, that is unbelievable. 
and uh, a good friend of mine, Blake Barnett, who uh, uh, his show is, uh, I believe it's on the Hunter's Moon, um, he does with SCI. He was telling me he had a, a rogue elephant tag in Z Zimbabwe or Zambia, somewhere he had a rogue elephant tag that he shot an elephant and the villagers all came in and they, t there was nothing left of that elephant. They took, even the blood clots had a purpose and they take it back to camp and use every bit of it. And it's just cool to see that kind of things happening that hunters, our hunters can help those communities just with the conservation that they're doing by hunting those animals. Very neat, kind of makes you feel spoiled for what we do. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, and that's why I said every hunter needs to go to South Africa and hunt because you get a whole new perspective on how things go and what happens there. Very cool. I know uh, going back to your Facebook page, I check it out pretty regularly just because you post a lot of stuff. Uh, if it's not informational, a lot of times you post like recipes and stuff on how to cook wild game. Cool stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, Realtree comes up with that. Some of those different meals with different types of animals. Oh, and I told my wife, I said, you need to try these. And she goes, no, you need to cook those so we can try these. So I was like, <laughs> all right. So I hit save, save, save so I can go back to that. But yeah, yeah, just follow me on those things. And there's always something informational-wise you're going to be able to use. Very cool. Hey, Carl, I really appreciate being on here. You've got insight to inside the hunting industry that's cool. And you've been, like I said before, literally all the way around the world uh, hunting. Um, and I appreciate it. I appreciate you being on and, and uh, we're going to catch up with you down the line if you're all right with that. Absolutely, Todd. Anytime. You just call me ahead of time. Let's get a schedule. All right, man. Hey, good luck this year. I hope to see you in Indiana later on. All right. All right, buddy. Be safe out there and shoot straight. All right, buddy. Take care. Hey, I want to thank Carl for being on the podcast. Carl's got some great insight into the hunting industry. He's also literally been all around the globe hunting, uh, so his hunting knowledge is just um, unbelievable. Um, you get past some of my terrible interviewing skills, and there's probably some really good information in this episode, and uh, I'll thank Carl again. I appreciate his time. Um, don't forget to tell your buddies about our podcast. Uh, we're picking up steam slowly, but we are. Uh, I, I can see the number of downloads, and with every episode, they're growing, so I, we appreciate that. Um, don't forget to go on iTunes and leave us a rating. Uh, let us know what you like and what you don't like. If there's something you want to hear that uh, we haven't addressed, uh, let us know. You can also do the same thing on Facebook, and you can leave us a review there as well at Busting Beaks and Chasing Tales on Facebook. Uh, last plug, uh, don't forget the Break TV show starts airing in early July. I believe it's July 1st at 10 p.m. Central on the Pursuit Channel. So don't forget to check that out. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on the show, including Carl tonight, Derek Dernberger, he's the chief hunter for that show. He's been on, uh, and then Brian and I both film for it. So uh, I think Derek's got a real good season lined up for you guys. So don't forget to check that out starting in early July. Uh, we do appreciate listening. Again, if you can tell your buddies about it, you know, anybody that's interested in hunting, uh, that would be appreciative. <laughs> For listening to the Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales.